title of our lesson, Wisdom is Better Than Strength. Father, would you work now in these short minutes as we proclaim the Word of God. I pray that we would do it uh, boldly, but yet we would do it compassionately and clearly. And so I pray that you'd guide now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's this principle starting off. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Yeah, this is a great principle. Now, we often would take this principle and uh, use it sometimes in a carnal way. Or maybe in an earthly way. Where we say, okay, well, if my hand finds to do this hobby or this job or this thing or to make money... Uh, then that's what I should put my hand to. And certainly labor has been talked about a lot in Ecclesiastes. And so there's nothing wrong with laboring under the sun as long as we keep things in perspective. And so Jesus cast some light on this. You may remember this in John chapter 9. And let's look over there. I think I just got louder. Uh, I don't know if it's just me. I'm getting used to the sound system still. Did I get louder? Yes? No? Nobody knows? All right. Brother James keeps moving the speakers on me. And um, I feel like I'm going insane every time I come up here. Because I feel like I don't know where I'm at. Maybe if I stand over here. Preach to you kids for a while. They love it when I come over here. It means I'm going to give them some wisdom. James' mom's sitting in the youth group. And I said this morning, boy, she fits right in. I didn't even know she was there. She looked like one of the teenagers. So... Here, John 9, 4. Did you get there? You heard me enough to get there, right? Here's what Jesus said. John 9 and verse 4. Look at this. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And so, yes, it is true. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. But what is the best possible thing you could do? Well, Jesus just told us to work the works of him that sent us. So if we're children of God, then God wants us to work the works that agree with the purpose and will of God. And I love it when young people find whatever God's purpose would be for their lives. Now, we met a young person, Marissa, tonight who knows that it's God, God's purpose for her to go to Columbia and to minister. And I tell young people all the time, if God wants you to be a garbage collector or a teacher or a lawyer, then do it with all your might. But make sure that you at least come before God and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? Because you're going to have the greatest influence in the area where God has gifted you and God has enabled you. And so it starts off in Ecclesiastes with this thought of under the sun, how we're going to live and how we're going to work. But let's continue now in the passage and see a few more things. So back to Ecclesiastes 9. At verse number 11, he says, I returned. So he's coming back to this thought. You ever had a thought that just keeps nagging at you? You keep coming back to that thought. The worst possible thing is when you keep coming back to that thought during the middle of the night and you can't sleep and you keep having that thought, you keep having that thought 
And I always love it when my wife is having one of those things. And I'm dead asleep, and she says, I keep wondering if I've closed the garage door. Like, I'm asleep, so I don't even hear her the first time. And then she wonders it again, out loud. And then she wonders it again, out loud. And finally, she wonders it enough that I awaken and go downstairs and see if the garage door is closed. It's like subliminal messaging. Isn't it the weirdest thing? But you have thoughts sometimes, even as you're asleep and your subconscious mind has this nagging thing, and you think, boy, there's something wrong, but I can't put my finger on it. And it, so Solomon kept coming back to this thought. He returned. And here's what he saw, and it was profound. The race is not to the swift. Now, can I just tell you that makes absolutely no sense? If you said, we're going to have a race, but how fast you run doesn't matter. We would think that we were in modern Little League baseball. Right? Where it doesn't matter if you... There is no winning or losing. They don't even keep score. It's just everybody does their best. And the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. And so he has these statements that strike us because there's a paradox involved. Neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet Riches to the men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. There's a thought he's coming up with. Remember, he returned. He kept seeking this out. He wanted to get to the very core of this truth. And as he went through all these thoughts, here's what he came up with. And we say it in your notes. Life under the sun gives us the illusion that success belongs to the most gifted. But eternity reminds us of a sobering truth. You know what the sobering truth is? Time and chance happeneth to them all. It doesn't matter how gifted you are, how smart you are, how fast you are, how strong you are. As you drive home tonight, another car could hit your car. That is chance on your part. Now, time, that's talking about time of our death. We don't know it, but it happens to everybody across the board. And so there's a truth, a nugget in here. Now, he continues with what he returned to in verse 12. And he kind of establishes the thought one more time. For man knoweth, for man also knoweth not his time. We don't know our time. And we're going to cover more of that in a second. But look, look at the pictures he gives here. As the fishes that are taken in an evil net. I wonder, have any of you ever taken a fish in an evil net? How many fishermen do we have in here? All right, how, how many good fishermen do we have? Something's rattling over here. Are all the guitars off? I'm just getting really annoyed up here. I'm trying to do it spiritually, but something is like rattling. I don't know what. Does anybody else hear rattling? High-pitched squeal? 
what, what else are you hearing? What is it? An echo, echo, echo. Yeah, I heard that too. I don't know what it is. All right. We thought we got all the demons out when we took the old speakers out. But I don't know, one of may sneak back in. So you, see, you people have been fishing. I asked my daughter the other day, Autumn. I said, Autumn, have you ever been fishing? And she said, no, you've never taken me before. And I said, well, I'm not much of a fisherman, but you're telling me you have never been fishing. And she said, well, I did go once with Papa. But did you catch anything? Yeah, I caught something. So you have been fishing. And that poor little fish that she caught with her grandfather, he didn't know that he was about to be taken. Right? Anybody ever caught a salmon that weighs more than 30 pounds? Oh yeah, these people all the time, they lived in Alaska. They just went out and did it for supper, right? Catch a 40-pound salmon, just go put it in the oven and eat it for dinner and then do it the next night again. But those poor little salmon had no idea that they were going to be taken in an evil net. Now look at this. And as the birds that are caught in the snare. So we've got another word picture here. So not just the fishes, but the birds. Hey, the rattle's gone. What'd you guys do? What was it? I'm just curious. Oh, the projector. All right. Glad we got that solved, everybody. I tell you people are glad, too. Like, he's going psychotic up there. <laughs> Please fix this. Okay, so they got fish and we got birds. And look what it says. When it falleth suddenly upon them. Have you ever had something that fell suddenly upon you? Maybe a struggle, an accident, a circumstance. Something in your life that came suddenly upon you. That's difficult for us. Here's the statement in your notes. When we consider that we have no more control of outcomes than fish and birds do, it diminishes our lust for authority. See, what we want is we want to be in charge. The big three temptations in 1 John 2. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We want to be in charge of what's going to happen in our life. Have you ever heard of OCD? How many of you have uh, somebody sitting next to you who's just a tiny bit OCD? Okay. Yeah, I can see that. That's really happening. I'm not making fun of... OCD. I'm just making fun of people who have tendencies that are, don't really have. Um, what, what does it mean, OCD? Obsessive compulsive disorder. Clean, yeah. We don't have to throw out words here. Okay? We don't have to go to the word category. Obsessive compulsive disorder. You know what it's from? It's people who want to control the outcomes in some area. In some area. Now, I had this deal, and you're not going to believe me, especially on a night where I worried so much about what the weird sounds were. Four or five years ago, I had this deal 
for just a few weeks where I had to dip my toothbrush in the water eight times before I could put it back in my mouth. And it was only for like five or six weeks, and then I discovered that I kept doing it, I kept going like this. Like, what am I doing here? I have no idea what it was about. I have no, no idea where it came from, but I had to control how many times that went under the water, and eight's not even a number of purity. And so now, I just dip it once. I figured that out. Now, some of you are saying, he's weird. You're just as weird. Okay? If we asked for your story and we found out who you are, you have some weird things too. But we like to control outcomes. If there are parents who have their child's future engineered when their kid's 16 months old. Right? They're going to go to this preschool, they're going to go to this kindergarten, here's the grades that are going to get, and they're going to go to this college, and they've got it all figured out. And when it doesn't go the way we think it will go, suddenly we're surprised. But if we would just remember up front that God's the one in charge of outcomes, it would save us a lot of anxiety. It would save us a lot of worry. And if we would give up the lust for power and authority in our lives and let God be God, it would do us a huge favor. Let's say also in your notes on this verse, mankind is not able to predict calamities that will arise in our lives, much less the time of our deaths. We can't predict any calamities. And just think about the weatherman. Right? He tells you that there is a 40% chance of a thunderstorm. And all of a sudden, Noah's flood is there. You know, the biggest windstorm in history, light and gusty winds. And all of a sudden, it's 55 mile an hour winds knocking over everything. We can't predict really anything except in a guess. That's all we can do. We can guess. And what is our guess based on? If information remains the same. If patterns remain the same. And so God's giving us this abrupt thought through Solomon when it falleth suddenly upon them. Then Solomon gives a parable. It's a very interesting parable. Uh, he, in fact, he said, This wisdom have I seen also the, under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. So this isn't just an ecclesiastical proverb. This is a parable that he says, This carried a lot of weight with me. When I had this thought come up, it made sense to me, and it was a big thing to me. And he tells the parable. There was a little city and a few men within it. And there came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. So the parable, we, we kind of get it, we sense what it means, is that this poor man, they probably didn't even care about his name, they didn't even care about his identity, they were willing to take his wisdom and use it, and then forget who he was. 
And the poor man, his wisdom was not even remembered. And so in your notes we say this. It is true that wisdom has a higher value than strength. But very few people assign wisdom its proper worth. So it's true. Solomon says it. It's a profound statement, but it's true. Wisdom is better than strength. That's absolutely true. But that's not how we really value it most of the time. How do you know? Well, some people stay at home tonight to watch a soccer game. Right? Because athletes run down a field and kick a ball, and it's fast. Okay? Football. They call it It's the World Cup thing, right? Now, I'm not a soccer fan, so I can easily pick on that. Um, you know, for the other kind of football, I may be tempted too, but we, we got this strength, athleticism. And what do people admire in our society? Strength, fortune, ability. Um, the ability to get up and mesmerize someone with, with a voice or an instrument. And if somebody gets up and says, you know what, here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to sell tickets, and we're going to fill this arena, and we're going to have this guy that nobody knows get up and give some wisdom for two hours. Right? Do you think the arena is going to be full? Do you think the first row is going to be full? No. And what if you said, hey, we will allow a guy, we don't even know who he's going to be yet, but we're going to allow him to come in for free tonight and give wisdom. Still not going to get people show up. Why? Because even though wisdom is better than strength, most people don't see its value. And yet, here it is. Solomon nailed us with this parable. And it's where we're at in our lives. We get mesmerized by things that attract the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And so we set wisdom aside. And I'm sure that when you were a young adult, maybe you were making some big decisions. And what were you attracted to? You were attracted to um, commercials that painted life as this fun, vibrant thing. And everybody's doing it and everybody's having fun. And maybe you had an adult or two who spoke into your life and said, Hey, don't get caught up in all that. Don't get caught up in the things that glitter because, remember what they told you, everything that glitters is not gold. Now, some people even knew that saying. <laughs> wow, that really is a saying. Now, you didn't have to Google that one, Allison. Last time, when I told her to Google it during the middle of church, she did a faulty Google search. And I found out later that it actually is the same. And it had something to do with bullets. My sister probably knows. What was it? A flash in the pan. Now, that's a real deal. I had to bring that up because I have to be right about this. It's my pride coming through. <laughs> but I'm not asking her to Google anything else because she missed the boat. She messed it up. She gets no more opportunities. But we have wisdom that's all about us, and yet we set it aside because something else is more attractive. Something else is nicer looking. In fact, you get a teenage boy, he's not looking for a wise girl. He's looking for a pretty girl. Right? 
You don't see many teenage girls who say, you know, the, the thing I want is a wise man. That's not what they say. They've never said that. There's no teenage girl in history that's ever said, I'm looking for a wise man. Not one. But you know, her mother may be thinking that. And her father especially is thinking that with the shotgun across his lap. <laughs> he, he says amen at the weirdest times. It just throws me off. I love it. He, he's there. Just pray for old Haas. He's got cancer treatments going on. Okay, so here's this wise man who delivers the city. Wisdom's better than strength. And here's what we say next in your notes. Wisdom is not based on any demographic qualifier. For this reason, many times it is despised by people of earth. Here's, here's what I mean by that. If you stood people in a lineup against a wall that you don't know, and you tried to pick out the wisest one, how are you going to do that? Pick that tall one right there. Pick that short one right there. Oh, look that one. He has gray hair. Now, the Bible says some things about gray hair and wisdom, so maybe we pick him. Now, that guy looks like he's, he's kind of a nerd. Maybe he's gotten some information. We pick him out of a lineup. Let's pick the wisest one out of this lineup. There's no demographic qualifier. No male and female, no old or young, although older people are usually more wise. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes there are older people who've learned absolutely nothing from their own mistakes. And they continue to repeat them. I hope that's not the case. You're in a local church, but sometimes that is the case. And so there's no demographic qualifier. Here's what he says in verse 17. And this is the one that I wanted to really get to. Look at this. The words of wise men are heard in quiet. See that? The words of wise men are heard in quiet. More than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Now this is not necessarily talking about the environment being quiet. Okay, this isn't talking about you're at your house and you put your cricket CD on so that you can hear wisdom. Or you put your ocean wave CD on. Do they even use CDs anymore? You put your ocean waves WMV file on from your iPod or whatever it is. Now you're going to hear wisdom. It's not talking about. It's talking about the quietness of your soul. See, when your soul is quiet and resting in the Lord, you're ready to hear wisdom. But a lot of times we don't go toward the quiet voice. We go toward the loudest voice. Remember when Elijah was discouraged? Jezebel said, we're going to kill you. 1 Kings 19, he just had a great victory. And a God had an angel bring him food. And it said he ate the food and he was able to go on the strength of that food for 40 days. And then there was a, an earthquake and there was a mighty wind and there were all these big natural events, but God was not in those things. And then there was a still, small voice. 
And that was God in the quietness of the soul. I heard somebody say this before. I don't know if it's absolutely true or not, but I thought it at least worthy of our thinking. The Holy Spirit of God never yells. Think about it. The Holy Spirit of God never yells. That's why the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit, quench not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is a still, small voice. That you have to be at a quiet place where you can actually hear Him. A quiet place like a prayer closet. Not literally, but figuratively. Where you can sit before God and say, God, what's the next thing in my marriage? What, what do I need to do? What's the next thing for me as a dad or a mom? What do I need to do? And to allow the Holy Spirit of God to touch your heart in quiet. So we say this in your notes. Listening to the loudest voices in your life is often the most foolish thing you can do. Remember Rehoboam, Solomon's son, who this book is written for? No sooner does dad give him the reins to the kingdom, but he crashes it. Why? Because the loudest voices in his life were the young people around him who said, Rehoboam, dude, don't do it the way they said, man. Listen to us, man. It's totally tubular if we go this route. And he went and asked the old man, he said, what do you think I should do? And they said, well, son, why don't you sit down there for a while and tell you a few stories. And their truth was, if you'll be easy on these people and you'll be nice to them, They'll serve you forever. But his friends, his own age, who had the voice, who could speak into his life, and who enthused him, and who gave him passion, they said, don't listen to those old guys. They don't know anything. He tore apart the kingdom. If you could go back in your life and change the voice that you listen to before the decision you make, might change a few. A lot of times, the loudest voice was the wrong voice. And the quiet voice, you didn't even hear. You know why? Because wisdom doesn't go around shouting. Wisdom actually has to be entreated, if you read Proverbs 8 and 9. And yet, the Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Then we get to verse 18. It kind of changes gears just a hair. It says, wisdom is better than weapons of war. So it's given us a couple comparisons. Wisdom is better than strength, but wisdom is also better than weapons of war. It doesn't matter how powerful the weapon is. It matters who controls weapon, and it matters who's in the battle. And you know, there are armies throughout the Word of God who thought they were going to take out Israel. And they thought, Israel's done. You might remember a guy named Sennacherib, who came and built a fortress around Jerusalem, and he had 185,000 men. He surrounded the city, and he sent a messenger named Rabshakeh in. 
And Rabshakeh came in before the high priest and before Hezekiah, and he said, you guys might as well give up. The great king Sennacherib is out there. They said, well, what about our God? And he said, your God. Your God's a nobody. What about the God of this city and the God of this city? And he basically cursed them up and down in the Jewish language. And Hezekiah tore his clothes and went before the altar of God. And Isaiah said, Hezekiah, get up. No worries. God's in charge. That's my translation. You know what happened? I love this verse. The angel of the Lord went among the camp of the Assyrians. The Bible says this. It's one of my favorite quotes in the Bible. It says, when they awoke in the morning, they were all dead corpses. Isn't that profound? When they awoke in the morning, they were all dead dead corpses. Sennacherib went home to Assyria, and his two sons suffocated him to death. Big man on campus, not so big. Even though he had the army and the weapons, he didn't really understand the God who was involved. And so there's a big statement, and then the end of this, but one sinner destroyeth much good. You know, one sin, a hidden secret sin, can destroy families. It can pull families outside of the body of Christ. It can hurt young people who are in formative stages of their life. And we're going to be studying uh, on Wednesday night in our Bible study, Forgotten Bible Stories, about Achan in just a couple weeks as we get to Joshua chapter 7. And what an incident there where one sinner, one guy who didn't keep God's law cost 36 men their lives, cost 36 families their dad, and cost Israel great grief and sorrow. And so there's a principle that Solomon's given us as we close, it's such an important one. We say in your notes, just as Achan's sin squandered the great victory over Jericho for all of Israel, one sinner can destroy much good in any institution, in any era. And we've seen that time and time again in history. So those are some uh, good thoughts for us and principles for us tonight. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand and dismiss in a closing word of prayer. I'm going to ask Marissa to be by her display. Make sure you get a prayer card. And in just about a minute and a half, we're going to start uh, our budget meeting and hope to get through it fairly quickly um, so that we can get you out of here. We're also going to take some deacon nominations tonight, all right? So that's what we're doing. Let's stand. And we will close in prayer. Thank you, Marissa, for being here. Yeah, we'll have folks come by and sign up for email list and get to know you a little more tonight. Father, thank you for your word and its truth. Thank you that we could come on a Sunday night and be refreshed by it. And I pray that you would help us to embrace wisdom this week in our lives. And to understand that its revenue is it's much more important than gold and silver and the things of this earth. Help us to seek your wisdom. You said if any of us lack your wisdom, that you give to all men liberally. And so I pray that we'd ask and we'd receive. Guide us now, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.